Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you from Tennis Podcast Towers, Indian Wells, on the second Thursday of the BMP Paribas Open 2023, where our semi-final lineups in both the men's and the women's tournaments are set. The quarterfinals have been taking place today and yesterday, and what we have for you is fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. We've got Arena Sabalenka against Maria Sakkari and Iga Sviontek against Elena Rabatkina. That is three, uh, the three leaders of El Race in 2023 in Sabalenka, Sviontek and Rabatkina and Maria Sakkari, who's also quite good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and it's also the three reigning Grand Slam champions in, in the women's draw. And the men's semi-finals will be Daniil Medvedev against Francis Tiafo, and then Yannick Sinner against Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, we'll can take I, that. Can I have a yes, please? Okay, sure. Yes, please. Um, yes, please. No notes. No notes. We'll, we will chat about all those quarterfinals that we've seen. Um, but yeah, it's, it is shaping up to be a pretty special weekend, actually, I think, David. Yeah. I, I think if you were to write down your preferred semi-final lineup, it would be pretty much that at the start of the tournament. I can't think of, you know, maybe we might throw an Andy Murray in there or someone like that, but that is a blockbuster lineup. As I said before, no notes. <laughs> it's going to be a quick podcast, David. It's going to be like the good old days. <laughs> Before we got shown up by Matt. Yeah, when we just used to chuck opinions around without much evidence. <laughs> yeah. um, before we get into the eight quarterfinals, that is right, right? Eight quarterfinals, yes. Two times four is eight. Well done, me. <laughs> well, we're good on this show, aren't we? <laughs> before we get into all of that, big news. Yeah, very big news. <laughs> big f- news. We have a Roland Garros ticket promotion to bring you from Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours. Tennis podcast listeners can get 15% off tickets and hospitality packages from Steve Fergal's International Tennis 
tours. Now, Roland Garros tickets have been on sale this week, haven't they? I believe they've sold out, but you can still get tickets through Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. Click the banner for the Roland Garros promotion and enter the special discount code for tennis podcast listeners, which is 15love. That's the number 1515. It's good to be specific, I, I think, with these things. Yeah. One five, love, L-O-V-E. All caps. All caps. The caps are important, are they? I think so. Right. <laughs> One five, L-O-V-E, all caps. Yeah, that's how it's written. That's how we say it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 15 love, the 15 love coupon code is only valid on purchases for eligible 2023 Royal and Garros ticket packages on www.toursfortennis.com made between 9 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, March the 16th, 2023 through to 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, the 9th of April, 2023. 15 love. Discount code is limited to one use per customer, not valid on previous purchases and not usable with any other offer or discount. Your total savings will be revealed when you head to toursfortennis.com. That sounds... Sounds like a cliffhanger, doesn't it? I had a go earlier, (laughs) and it it does happen. (laughs) Add an eligible package to your cart and enter 15LOVE at checkout. Not valid on hotel packages or other events offered by Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours or any of its subsidiaries. For questions, please email info at toursfortennis.com. Info at tours4tennis.com. I'm expecting the phone to ring off the hook from, you know, voiceover companies asking for me to do radio adverts after yeah. that. Oh, that, mm. that was good. Very I'll good. be I'll be waiting by the phone. <laughs> but to summarize, it's a cracking offer. Yeah. Um Roland Garros, the next Grand Slam, it is just around the corner. We were um we were fantasizing earlier on this evening, weren't we, about the steak restaurant that we frequented in our neighbourhood while we were well, there. Well, as you know, so... I, I, I do a lot of thinking about Roland Garros <laughs> ever since last year. More than I... I was asked today in a, in a, a Q&A by uh, a little girl who couldn't have been more than seven or eight. Um, she, she asked, which one is your favourite major? Which one's your favourite Grand Slam? And it's harder than ever for me now because I always used to say Roland Garros was the, the poor relation before I went there. And now... It's right up there. It's up there with all the others. I can't wait. So you didn't give the the young child that had plucked up the courage to ask you a question, you didn't give her a straight answer? I gave her a good seven-minute answer <laughs> by bigging up every one of them. And then I said, I know this is a terrible answer. It's a great question. But I like them all the same. <laughs> I would be furious. <laughs> she did look a bit I would a bit be annoyed. absolutely furious with that. Right then, let's talk about the tennis. As we come to you, we've uh, we've just watched Felix Auger-Aliassime against Carlos Alcaraz. That that finished in two pretty great sets, but two sets pretty pretty heartily and 
deservedly won by Carlos Alcaraz, I think, in the end. Tennis Channel, obviously, are showing tennis 24-7, so they've gone back and they're now showing uh, a replay of Iga Svantec's victory over, over Saranica Steyer, which seems like it was played an age ago, but it was it was the second match of the day. That one followed on from um, Elena Rabakina beating Karolina Mukova in three sets, 6-4 in the third, this one. I mean, there's an argument that that was the match of the day, Rabakina Mukova. I mean, maybe it's debatable. Fritz against Sinner was, was fantastic. But I don't know, I really enjoyed why, why Rabakina was that? Mukova. T- tell me why, because I, I didn't get a chance to see that match. I know it's match. a cheesy answer, but contrast of styles. I right. really love contrast of styles. Mm. It just, on paper, this, this matchup works. And, and it's lovely that in practice it, it works as well. It was slightly disappointing and in the sort of cons column for for pitting the making this match of the day and it probably wasn't, but I'm trying to make a case for it. Mukovic did fade physically, I think, a bit, not necessarily due to the heavy strapping on both her legs, which I probably need not mention because that's a given. I've never seen her without. But she didn't she didn't seem hampered at all or restricted in her movement she just seemed to tire right i thought in in that deciding set she she should have won the first set i think she served for it against relena rabak and i did fantastically well to come back and win the second given the disappointment of not winning the first and then was right in it in the third and just just that five ten percent fade i think is is what made the difference but it was a really enjoyable match, I thought, Matt. Completely agree. Yes. Uh, you... No notes. No notes. Yeah. I mean, literally, you did say all the stuff that I was going to say about this match. <laughs> Contrast of styles, uh, which which really did um, play out. You know, Mukova has the hands and the skills to actually deal with Rabatkina's power. You know, there are some players who just can't cope with the sheer weight of shot from Rabatkina, but... Mukova's got silky skills on the hands and can hit the slice. And you said that Rebecca was practicing this morning and it was a lot of trying to deal with a slice backhand. She was aware that that was going to be coming at her. I felt like she was practicing crouching. She was preparing to have a very sort of bendy day, having to get <laughs> low to the court. She was... I watched both their practice sessions, actually. They were back-to-back on uh, on Stadium 1 warming up this morning. And, um, yeah, Rabakina was practicing not only receiving slice from her hitting partner, but, but slicing back. She was basically just... It was like a Champions Tour rally, David. It was like, you know, Mansoor Barami was out there or something. They were just slicing back and forth to one another. And it was quite mesmerising, mm. actually. And- Rebecca always has better hands and I think she's going to have as well and did cope with that slice well, did come forward quite nicely at times. And then when Mukova didn't win that first set, she had a smash on set point, which she made a right mess of. And then Rebecca grabbed the tie break and I really at that stage thought, okay, this is going to be over in two sets. So as you said, huge credit to Mukova for making that a match. She just played a really bad game in the third set to lose serve and Rebecca didn't didn't let her back in um but yeah I I did enjoy this match immensely I think it you know I think we've been pretty um 
pleased with the scheduling at this this tournament so far in terms of um, finishing on time and you know decent men's women's split. It did feel a little bit today like get the women out of the way and then get the men on. I know the women play tomorrow. There is less uh, time for them to But the to women play. play tomorrow because they've designed the schedule that way. Indeed, yeah. That's <laughs> they, always the case. Yeah. Um, but certainly it did feel like, you know, you had the women champion out there and you had the world number one in the first two matches of the day. And it was, it was a little bit flat. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's partly a consequence of of the scheduling. Um, but yes, I, I, I did enjoy that match a lot. And I think I've been really impressed by how consistent Rebatkin has become. Like, I think when she won Wimbledon, I thought, well, she'll be able to have big peaks like that again. You know, she, she could well win more slams because of how good she is at her best. But, you know, this season she's reached the final of the Australian Open and the semifinals here. Who knows? Maybe more. She's just constantly showing up and with such a big game I find that impressive that she's built consistency into it like we've seen Sabalenka do that now took a bit of time maybe to find that consistency but Rebekina really since becoming a top player seems to have seems to have found it I find that really impressive yeah I I, I went to her press conference afterwards and I, I I didn't see that much of the match and part of the reason why I wanted to go and hear Rebekina's version of mm. of the of the match and uh i do find her immensely engaged in the sport always ready to play you never see her really have a lackluster attitude out there at all and i'm and i'm sure that's that's the main reason why i mean she's a brilliant player and and worthy wimbledon champion and everything else that we've seen but but i think that that constant attitude is going to keep her relevant all the time, pretty much, because she wants to get better. She's not satisfied, and um, that was she's very measured in press conferences. But but you could see how up for it she is, and, and up for the battle. She likes the fight. She she doesn't back down from anybody. And mm-hmm. I asked her, "What do you have to prepare differently to face Iga Swiatek in the next round compared to anybody else?" And she she sort of said, you, you, well, you've got to have tactics against anybody, but really my main approach is to, to, do, to go for my shots and to be aggressive. And I think she, she believes that the, any match is on her racket. Um, I, I also tried to push her on net play because, I mean, with her wingspan, she's such a difficult player to pass and lob. And I think she looks quite, quite comfortable at the net, personally. Mm. Um, she seemed less sure of that in her answer in as much as she feels she's she's not as good as she should be and there's still a long way to go so goodness if she's going to improve that as well then who knows what's next well let's jump right to previewing Rabatkina against Svantec shall we because unless anybody has anything pressing they want to say about Svantec Castella my feeling was Castella played it a really good match, actually. A really good four games. Really at the good start. four games. It's sort of been the pattern mm. of Shontek matches, certainly for the for the last three three rounds, hasn't it? It was a demolition job against uh, Claire Liu in the opening round, but the last three rounds, a player has been able to redline it and hang with her for a bit, 
and then Shvontek switches gears. The, the opponent's unable to sustain their level and Shvontek ends up winning comfortably. Did, did any advances on that for analysis here? No, no notes. notes. No notes from Matt. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, I would say I thought Shvontek hit her backhand really well today. That was something I noticed. It, it went off at the end of the match and actually Costair got one of the breaks back in that second set. It looked like it would be a 6-love or 6-1, but... Costea did manage to rally a little bit at the end, but I just I just had that feeling of where do you go against Fiontech mm. when she's playing like this? Because we all know how dangerous her forehand is, and she seems to be hitting a lot of winners off the backhand as well. And it's just trouble for everyone else <laughs> if she's doing that. Well, is it trouble for Elena Rabakina? Because I go back to their meeting at the Australian Open, one in Rabakina by in in a competitive match, but a straight sets match. And you picked that early, Matt. You picked that after the first couple of days after observing the conditions Mm. and observing Rabatkina in the conditions. The conditions here are very different. It's a hard court. That much is the same, but otherwise things are... Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think... Daniel Medvedev not, not doesn't a, think so, and he's a specialist. specialist. And I'm not sure Rebecca is convinced that it really is either. She she said, you know, this is not the same. This match is not the same as in Australia. It is a different court, different surface almost, she seemed to be saying. Um, and, and actually, it was very interesting. I mean, to me you go to the net to finish points on a fast court. She says she needs to go to finish points on this court because you can't hit winners from the baseline, which was really surprising in a way. Is she in a support group with Daniil Medvedev? (laughs) Well, they're both still here. they're both taking really slow peas in (laughs) protest. (laughs) And yet they're both in the semis. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> they're making it work <laughs> what an yeah. image <laughs> I mean I, I I do think this feels very different to that Australian Open match it was really quick in Australia especially during the day which was when that match was played this match will be played tomorrow night it's the 6 o'clock match it will be much slower much grittier much more high bouncing I think and that all I think favours Sviontek. But what I would say is we saw a few times today from Kostea, I still think Sviontek's second serve is is vulnerable and can be attacked. And I think Rebekkina, even on this high-bouncing court, can get on top of that and kind of dominate it. The, The thing is with that second serve, it goes to the same place almost every time. Where's that? Like high up to the back end. Yeah. Back end. Mm. Yeah. But but because this court takes takes kicks so well, she she's she's I don't know whether it's getting whether saying getting away with it is doing her a, a bit of a disservice, but players know where it's going and yet still can't use that intel to their advantage, seemingly. And yet it feels like someone should be able to. That should be a chink that somebody can exploit and maybe Rabakina with her height maybe that will be the case but I think the crucial difference is not necessarily the speed of this court relative to to Australia Um, although that is undoubtedly a factor I do think it's the way it takes spin relative to Australia I do think Shriantek should be able to bring that to bear but then 
but but then I don't know. There were periods of of today where I looked at Rebecca and I thought this this can beat Shante. Well, the the other thing is, um, I, I get the feeling that Rebecca really rates Mukova and and mm. enjoyed the challenge of playing against her. And I think there's quite a few players who feel like that. I think she's a bit of a player's player. Yeah, isn't I agree she? with that. Mm. And and in some ways it might not be the worst preparation for playing against Sviantek because Mukova, in the words of Rybakina, moves you off the court. Mm. But the thing with Rybakina is a couple of big strides and boom, she's had a winner down the line because she's not going to faff around with rallies anymore. And that's, that's the danger for Iga, I think. And when she's in trouble, Rybakina, and she was quite a lot today, Mukova puts you under pressure. She's... You know, she's consistently in return games. The get-out-of-jail-free card of the Rabatkina serve is a real a real ace in the hole for, for her. And, you know, what Sviantek and the best players in the world do is make you feel constantly under pressure, make you panic, make you move out of your comfort zone, make you go for things that you wouldn't normally try and go for because you think your normal game isn't good enough. And I think... Just having the pressure reliever of that serve of mm. the three points, obviously in reality in practice is a is a huge advantage. But also, I think mentally is a huge advantage when you're playing somebody mm. like Sviantek. Yeah, it can calm you down. I mm. think because you're not thinking, "Oh my God, she's going to dominate my serve." Yeah, Rebecca knows if she serves well, mm. there's not actually anything that Sviantek can necessarily do about it mm. yeah i completely agree yeah and we it will be rebecca against shiontek in the uh 6 p.m match tomorrow and the first of the women's semi-finals will be at 3 p.m before that there's the women's doubles semi-final so the 3 p.m semi-final will be arena sabalenka who is numero uno in el race against maria sakari who is in el race but doesn't feature as prominently as as the other three, but of course has the Indian Wells pedigree finalist last year. I'm really impressed that she's she somehow backed that up by reaching reaching the semifinals this year. And in her words, she hasn't played a good match yet. Really? Which which well, she I said think, I think I agree with that. I completely agree. I mean she said it on the court, you know, after beating Petra Kovitova. It was maybe a bit of a burn. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I can beat her even when I don't play with you. <laughs> I mean, I do think that was really impressive from Sakura yesterday because she was she was setting a breakdown and absolutely no need to panic in that situation. She knows exactly what she's doing and she did her thing. She got it back, you know, and, and won the second set. But what I was impressed with was how how easily she won the third set. You know, we've seen her get herself back into a match and then have another wobble and have to sort of mount the comeback again. But as soon as she got a grip on that match yesterday, she actually held on to it and didn't let Kvitova back in, didn't fade. And that was that was probably her best set of the tournament. Mm. So when, she goes into this match playing a little bit better. She, she's sort of fallen up in the decider and we were all going, oh, this is a catastrophe for Zachary. This, <laughs> this scoreline is worst case scenario for her. It's, clearly going to fall apart from here what she wants to be is fall one down in a decider that's when she's got someone right where she wants them very impressive deciding set against uh against Kvitova very impressive defense of that run from last year mm. I, I, she, 
I'm so full of admiration for for Maria Sakkari and what she's doing, and yet, <laughs> and yet, every match still confirms my doubts about her. Yeah, it she, confirms she's... my admiration. It confirms mm. my doubts. She's winning in spite of her Achilles' heel, really. Mm. Um, but I just wonder whether maybe the pressure will be off in this semi-final, and she can just. Relax, swing. She's expected to lose, and I think that might make her dangerous. She's she's supposed to have been out of this tournament four times, quite honestly. And I mean, the emotion in her eyes yesterday when she got over the line—it was really moving. I thought, and we were in a room full of people at the time watching it, and and everybody was won over by her because you can feel and see her struggle even if you don't know her backstory and that and even if you haven't seen the Netflix documentary and and heard her describe what she goes through because of her desperation to succeed and and her short falls within that even in the microcosm of a single match you can see how much it means to her and um good honor for getting this far and and She's she's got a chance. I mean, she's the underdog for sure, but she's got a chance. Well, she won their meeting at the WTA finals in Fort Worth, didn't she, Maria Sakkari? 6-2, 6-4. It's just, as we we discussed with Sabalenka's head-to-head record against Goff the other day. Irrelevant. How relevant (laughs) is it? Sabalenka is is a different prospect now. And, And I asked Sabalenka about that after she... She'd beaten Goff in in the quarterfinals yesterday, and she confirmed that. She said, "I'm not thinking about those past matches. I'm I'm different now." And and the word she uses for her sort of change is how much calmer she is, and that definitely comes across. But as a viewer, it's a much more relaxing experience watching Sabalenka now because I trust her, and I didn't used to. I used to expect extremes you know brilliance or a sort of torrent of unforced errors and she's she's not lost any of the brilliance you know she's still just as devastating and just as powerful but if if she does start making errors she doesn't let it run away from her she she reins it in keeps calm and it's it's such a difference and of course the other thing is her serve you know I know that I know that come the back end of last season she'd she'd improved it a lot already but I realized yesterday that I watched the whole Arena Sabalenka match without even thinking about her serve and considering that that was the narrative of last year that was the narrative of this this year's Australian Open when you know it was going back to the place where it was such a disaster 12 months ago she's put it behind her and the game is secure she's calm she's I'm not going to use the word confident because she doesn't like that word, but she's believing in herself. And I think she's a heavy favourite tomorrow mm. against Maria Sakkari, despite Sakkari's pretty pretty good record against her because Goff had a good record against her as well. And that, was, what, that match was not Goff? close. What yeah, happened in that match? Well, I just wanted to, to touch upon that quickly. Four in love for Sabalenka over Goff yesterday. And I realise... Only one player has beaten Sabalenka all season. That was, you know, top player kryptonite, as you 
dubbed her Barbora Krejcikova. Mm. And and Sabalenka was what six one three love up in that match. Yeah, like she really should have won it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's always a balance with Coco Golf, isn't it? We we do not want to be too harsh. She's nineteen. She's a top ten player. She's she's the most committed, dedicated, hardworking, ambitious physically impressive impressive player out there and yet she's not getting closer in these big matches I do worry that she's starting to accumulate a bit of baggage she's absolutely nowhere near the point of no return with that baggage but you know it is starting i think you know it's it's worth noting that that is beginning to happen i think yeah we were talking about that over lunch yesterday <laughs> weren't we and i think she's aware of it you know she mm. she said in her press conference she's not you know she's winning all the matches she should and she's ranked appropriately because she does beat the players she should beat but she's not really having big wins and that is quite a thing to have to get your head around because you know naturally when if you burst onto the scene at 15 like she did she was defined by big wins and by surprising people by su- exactly who's this person how on earth is she pulling this off <laughs> and it's it's, total it's totally flipped now mm. it's well goff's beating everyone she should but where's that next level mm. and as you said 19 we know she's still working hard on her game and has got improvements to make but yeah she she isn't getting closer against Sviontek and the other very very top players and I think I think we'd be doing her a disservice in a way if we just thought oh well it's fine you know she she said I don't want to be number 10 in the world I want to be number one in the world Mm. and that's that's how she wants to be. She's a long way seen. off that. Yeah, she is. That's it, isn't it? That's why I think it's worth discussing, worth noting. Yeah, at least. And, and also, that's that's not a close scoreline. That's a, a rout, and that mm. that would have stung. She looked pretty chastened as as she left the court. It was um, it was a bit of a, a tough sight actually seeing her her leave that centre court. Uh, yeah, but. It'll make her work harder, won't it? I don't know if it'll make her take a couple of months off and work out the kink in her forehand, but we'll see. Watch this space. And and sorry, just to say, she's um, she's very pleased now that she gets to play at home, basically. I mean, I know that you could say America's home, but Miami is the next event. That's her home event. Yeah. And then it's Billie Jean King Cup for her in Delray Beach. And I just think, that's going to do her good yeah. in conditions she knows. Quote, the hotter the better for me. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right then, on to the men's quarterfinals. And as I trailed earlier, we have Tiafo against Medvedev in the semis and Sinner against Alcaraz. And that is because Tiafo beat Cameron Norrie, four and four in the first of the men's quarterfinals. And Medvedev beat Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in the second of those quarterfinals. Both of them straight sets matches, very different straight sets matches. I think we'll get on to the Medvedev circus in just a moment. Tiafo against Nori. Um Nori didn't show up for this. No. And he was in he was in a bad mood. Mm. Um I felt like he was kind of on edge the entire match. He was he was trying to fire himself up, but he was also really getting down on himself when he was making errors. And that isn't the Cameron Norrie that is the best Cameron Norrie. You know, Cameron Norrie, when when he's playing well, is just locked in. I'm going to use that expression. You know, you don't get much either way from him. Yeah, penis and a scribble. That's that's one of his weapons. And I felt like he was almost, almost, I don't know, he was just... He was giving Tiafo too much, I think, to And when he has those days, on, which, which we, we saw against Rublev at the US Open last year. He's unable to shake it off, mm. I think, is particularly worrying. He's unable to get himself out of that funk. When he shows up, he shows up and you know he's going to stay in the zone. But if he shows up not in the zone, mm. he can't seem to find the zone. I'm... Well, I I, th- I do wonder whether that's a symptom of fatigue and constant playing, mm. because it, the, the theme is that this is happening at the Grand Slam tournaments. It happened in the U.S. Open, 
happened in the Australian Open when I was thinking he could go all the way. He was playing really, really well, but he was playing all the time. And uh, he's come into this tournament having played two clay court events like Carlos Alcaraz did, but he's, he's just playing everything else as well. He's been playing everything for months. And I think what happens is, is you don't have necessarily that little bit extra in the tank to be able to put your foot down. I know he's, he's the most fittest guy and all the rest of it, but you need the turbo boost. You need that moment where you just peak. And he, he's peaking all, he's trying to peak all the time. You can't do that. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's always tried to replicate Rafael Nadal. I mean, aren't we all? But, <laughs> but, Some of us more successfully than But he has particularly tried to emulate the in-the-moment mindset of just this shot, just this, that total laser focus. There is nothing else in my mind other than this tennis ball that's in front of me right now and the tennis ball will always look the same whether I just missed an easy overhead or whether I made a worldie of a forehand round the net post. And yes, that is the right mindset to aim for. That is the gold standard of sporting mindsets. But as much as Every moment is the same for Rafael Nadal on tennis court. He also has gears. Yeah, I mean, not not every tennis match is not the same mm. on the circuit. You know, yes, within an event, and you do want to peak at the final if you can, and all the rest of it. But I don't know. I think you've, you you need to be fresh in your mind. Um, but my question for you both is: Does Cameron Norrie have gears? Well, I think he has. I think he does. I don't think he has Rafael Nadal like gears, and he never will. But he does have them. I think he can suddenly f- hit his forehand on the line. He can play some some inspirational tennis more than I expected, more than I knew he was capable of. Um, but because I think he showed that in the first few weeks of the year. But he looks tired to me. I mean, in that match yesterday, anyway. And uh, he's done well. He's got to that to that point, quarterfinals. Again, it's perfectly creditable. But if he wants to achieve what he what he talks about, which is to take it to the next step and go all the way at a Grand Slam tournament, which I've felt, felt that he he is capable of, I think you've just got to pull it pull it in a bit and not not play every single week. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just I just enjoyed uh, David's answer there. It just it was. It was how we talk about Cameron Norrie. It was like some inspirational tennis. <laughs> Describing Carlos Alcaraz, that would be like, wow, he's playing some inspirational tennis. And when you describe it with Cameron Norrie, it's like some inspirational, some inspirational tennis. tennis. I, mean, but, but I completely agree there with are you. Levels, just, aren't there? Yeah, you know, absolutely. He, he's and, a really, really good player. And yeah. he's actually even better than I thought he was. Yeah. But he's still not that. Yeah. And, and he has really played this year you know we we talked the other day about how he hasn't been he hadn't been home you know he, he played he left for the united cup before christmas he he played, he played saudi Auckland. arabia he played saudi arabia in the off season he played um you know to his credit he played davis cup in colombia but that was why he went over to to south america and stayed there it, it has been non-stop and i think i think david's probably right it probably just 
caught up with him, just mm. hit the wall a little bit. And he was up against an inspirational opponent in mm. Francis Tiafo, who definitely has gears and definitely can rise to an occasion. And he did, you know, I mentioned earlier, first match of the day can be can be a little flat sometimes. And he managed to make that not flat yesterday with, with his tennis. And that was that was a big win for him, you know, as 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 not great as Cameron Norrie was, I still think that's a big win for Francis Tiafo in in conditions which Norrie does like, as we know. So it will be Tiafo against Medvedev, who beat Alejandro Davidovich Rukina three and five. Um, we got we got the spectrum, didn't we, of of Medvedev? Not quite the greatest hits, but we got some hits in this one. We got an incident with his thumb. Uh, he had a little, a little mini sort of wobble on his ankle, and he went and immediately sat down. And everyone's thinking, "Oh my God, what's happening with this ankle?" That of course he he twisted in his previous match against Zverev, and we were wondering if he'd even play this quarterfinal against Davidovich Fakina. And actually, no, he had just needed some treatment on his thumb, mm. and also apparently just needed the opportunity to have a little rant. <laughs> well, I thought he was doing that sarcastic thumbs up that has become one of his <laughs> trademarks I thought oh excellent here we go because I was up in the media seats which is you know halfway back in the stadium and then suddenly I realized oh no actually he might he might be hurt here and uh, he he had to get it, his thumb taped multiple times and and uh, he he mentioned that he'd never done that before he'd never played with tape on any of his fingers and he found it a little bit uncomfortable to actually grip the racket and he was pointed in, in the direction of Rafa Nadal who has every finger taped all the time and seems to manage absolutely fine but I suppose it's just you know what you're used to and considering considering that considering the ankle scare that he came in with considering the shot making that Davidovich Fakina is capable of I felt like he did a very good job of just keeping him at arm's length and always being in in control of that match there was never really a moment where I felt like he wasn't going to win same the head-to-head with Francis Tiafo in my head I had it that Tiafo had beaten Medvedev somewhere along the way anyway don't know I I, there was no need for me to disclose that completely (laughs) false impression that I had in in my mind he he's only ever won one set uh, from Daniil Medvedev in their four meetings. I remember the US Open All one. of them on hard courts. It, the, the, the head-to-head doesn't make for pretty reading. No, for and, but, I, but what I think it does make is um, confident reading in terms of his improvement because the match they played at the US Open was uncomfortably one-sided and, uh, and awkward because the crowd weren't with Tiafo in as much because there was nothing to get into. There was, it was just he was a he was a shell of the player that we we used to seeing. This is a few years ago now. And um now I think he comes out into this court believing Medvedev I mean we he's he's not backing down from his irritation about this court and the circumstances and everything else. He's just leaning into all of that. Andy Roddick gave this fantastic uh, sort of analysis on tennis channel of how he likes Medvedev because he's one of these players who can whinge relentlessly about this 
and still win. You know, he, he doesn't stop him from performing. And he, no matter what Medvedev said, I mean, Medvedev insisted in his press conference that he, he'd be better off not doing it and he just can't <laughs> stop. But the fact is, I, I think it is part of his armory almost. I think it, it keeps his reactions very intense and, and on. Um, so I, I don't think it does him any harm whatsoever. This match, I... Th- I think Tiafa might win it. Whoa. I do. I think Tiafa might win it. That would be good for my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? I mean, obviously, Matt thinks that. I don't know. I just feel like the more improbable Medvedev looks, the That's more likely he actually is to, to win. win. I mean, he looks mm. a disaster. <laughs> I've got no, I feel like I went far too early with my scrambled egg prediction, um, <laughs> description. A couple of weeks ago, because now what, what is beyond scrambled egg? <laughs> I, I, I scrambled mean, egg that's been thrown in the bin because it's not very nice. He's now a scrambled egg with even more of a weird beard. Like he's got scrambled this, egg with a beard. He's got this beard that I don't think he is um, manicuring it into the shape that it is. I think that's just how it comes. Mm. Yeah, but it's oh. quite piratey. I'll have a bearded scrambled egg, please, um, with toast. And his hair's a bit longer than it sometimes is, isn't it? And he walks out with this sort of side parting, looking a bit sort of retro chic. And then obviously four points in, <laughs> it's pointing in 17 different directions. And he looks like he's been electrocuted. Now he's got one of his ankles heavily taped. Mm, and he's, got a, he's got a thumb injury. Mm. He hates the court. He hates the court. <laughs> yeah, he's winning the title. Yeah. Isn't he? He's at yeah. pains to say, but I really like it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he said, you guys probably think I don't like it here. <laughs> I love it. So I just, obviously I look at him and I look at Francis Yaffa and I think, well, obviously Tiafo. But then... <laughs> he's a troll. He's trolling the know. tournament. Yeah, I just... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's all academic because Alcaraz is going to win everything from now until the end of time, provided he's fit. It's quite a big call. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me, I mean, okay, I know. I know the elephant in the room. I know it's Djokovic, isn't it? The answer to this question is Djokovic. He's not here. He's not going to be in Miami. Let's take him out of the equation for the moment. If Alcaraz stays fit, who's beating him? Who's beating him? Yannick Sinner. Maybe. So are you talking this tournament? Or bigger bigger? I'm talking picture? this tournament. I suppose and Miami. And Miami. Let's 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 do that. Let's, you know, assume that he's gonna stay fit for this period. Mm. We we've just watched Felix Orgelia theme play pretty brilliantly, actually. I think he yeah, he made made some errors, maybe the stats won't make it look that way for Auger scene, but when you're having to redline it in the way that he was tonight, you are you are going to make you are going to make errors. I think it was about as well as Auger scene can play in that kind of mode, just under constant pressure. He was make he did some extraordinary shot making tonight. I I didn't know Felix Auger scene had a a forehand lob like he was playing tonight. He pulled off a couple of sublime forehand lobs that, you know, it's not often you see 
Carlos Alcaraz scrambling to to try and get a racket on a ball and and failing it being completely out of his athletic reach and Roger Lesine was able to do that to him tonight. He had a hooked forehand cross court creating the most insane angle. Roger Lesine again a shot that I've not really seen him seen him hit much before. He Alcaraz brought the best out of Roger Lesine but <laughs> is better just mm. is better and he was coming up with all the shots as well you know drop shots um incredibly kicked serves volleys big ground stroke winners shots on the run you know he just he just did everything tonight Alcaraz Sinner is such a tantalizing prospect in the semi-finals though because we talked about it a lot last year the way those two matched up Sinner could cope with Alcaraz's game. He didn't always win, but he could he could cope with the game. He was in the match in a way that some players weren't. And remember the US Open match in particular, there were some moments where Alcaraz was coming up with, I mean, the most as- astonishing shots. There was one he hit behind his back. Uh, there was there was just it was a highlight reel. And yet I remember that set, and Sinner won that set. You know, even though Alcaraz was playing at the absolute extreme, Sinner Sinner had a sort of reliability in his game and uh, ability to just constantly bring it and deal with Alcaraz's speed that I've seen from very few other players. And if, you know, tennis is matchups, I don't think Sinner's as scared of that matchup as other players. So I do think maybe these conditions are better for Alcaraz, but... I'm very excited for Sinner Alcaraz in a couple of days' time. Yeah, me too. I mean, the the, the Wimbledon match that Sinner played against him, he took his time away. He plays compact tennis. Mm. I think that's he's trying to play more um, ambitious and expansive tennis in the future. But I do think he's a problem for, for Alcaraz. Alcaraz won that U.S. Open. But he had he had to save match point along the way. Yeah, and I do think, as in a very Yannick Sinnery way, I think he is an improved player on last year in a very low-key kind of way. I don't mm. think he's done anything dramatic or anything that might be really obvious to, to your casual casual tennis fan I, I mean I hadn't noticed any dramatic differences but Greg Rosetsky on our uh, prime video coverage serve specialist obviously um, had the best serve in the world in the world there for a while didn't he Greg and he's noticed that he's lowered his ball toss by a few inches which just takes a bit of time away from from the returner just just little things like that and Daniela Hantikova in our coverage noted what a fantastic mid-match adjustment he made today against Taylor Fritz because in the slot that they were playing, and it was a brilliant match, I mean, the power that they were exerting onto the tennis ball, both of them was just thunderous. It was it was making Stadium on shake um, at stages during uh, this match. It was third on Stadium 1, and it's the slot where conditions just change 
dramatically over the course of the match. You start in this vicious heat and sunshine and, you know, the air temperature wasn't that hot today, but somehow, some sort of miracle of physics, that stadium on the court in in the centre of that bowl is just a total sun trap, this powerful laser-like sun and it it just can feel like you're at the center of the earth when you're down there so hot and then as soon as the sun disappears which it seems to do quite quickly it's genuinely quite cold and the breeze gets up because you're in the desert and it gets gritty some suddenly you've got um sand in your contact lenses and your hair's (laughs) Going in your face while you're trying to broadcast on the telly. I have started talking about me and my struggle is real. Didn't notice. <laughs> but anyway, and he he adjusted to that really well. He started started playing differently. Started started hitting his backhand down down the line a lot more. And I can't quite remember why all the specifics of how Daniela explained that that, that was a good thing to do, but. But he did, and it worked. Mm. And and there was a moment I was watching this match, and I read uh, Chris Clary's tweet about how the rallies were extraordinary. You know, back and forth, back mm, and forth. They were. And yet he pointed out, you know, physically really draining. Why doesn't one of these players introduce a bit of variety into their game? And then... On cue, Sinner started doing that. It was though he'd read Chris's tweet, and he he, he suddenly started slicing some backhands in the in the latter stages, mm. and it it really seemed to work. And just generally throughout the match, he absolutely dominated the long rallies in this match, and that's where I think it will be very interesting to see if he can do that against Alcaraz because he's got such an advantage in movement against Fritz. You know, Fritz has improved his movement a lot, but when those rallies were extended, when they were moving side to side, Sinner had the advantage. I think he won 75% of the rallies that were like 10 shots or more. You know, it was a really dominant figure. Can he do that against Alcaraz? I don't know. I I would think maybe not, but maybe it goes back to... To David's point, you know, the style of tennis he plays against Alcaraz might be different and that might be an an adjustment he makes. So, you know, again, we always say it, but it's why we like rivalries, because Hmm. we've got we've got an idea of what Alcaraz Sinner looks like. And that just gets me really excited for for their semi-final. Well, we have got a bit of additional insight, haven't we, into what this match might look like and what's generally going on with Yannick Sinner, because David's... What, what was the name of the segment that I coined? Loitering on the lawn with law. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> or doorstepped by David. I like oh, both. Oh, that's better. Loitering with law on the lawn? Come <laughs> doorstepped on. by David um, opens up geographically more possible. We, we can take that on the <laughs> yeah, road. Because yeah, because there's, there's only... Not everywhere has a lawn. Yeah. Plus loitering with law on the lawn. <laughs> Makes me sound like I'm a bit of a badden, you know. I don't like the well, thought of that. Where did you find Darren Cahill? Was uh, it on the lawn? Nearby. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with doorstep with David. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, Darren Cahill got doorstep by David today. <laughs> and um, he was good enough to stop and give some cracking insights. And here they are. 
Well, Darren, many congratulations to you, to Yannick, to all the team, because it's not just about the two of you, is it? There's a lot that goes into a victory like that, to a career like this. What did you make of what you saw out there? Well, actually, Simone Vagnossi is the main coach. So he, Umberto, uh, Giacomo, who's coming in as the physio, new physio. So the four of us have been working together now for quite a while. And and everything that I do pretty much goes through Simone. So it's been uh, a great collaboration so far, and I hope it continues. And, and it sort of peaks on a day like today when you see the, the two boys playing the type of tennis they did. It was amazing tennis between Taylor and Yannick, and a pleasure to watch, really. You know, our hearts were popping out quite often because of the, the level of the tennis and the, the, the points were so dramatic quite often, and one point either way could really turn a match. So there were many of those throughout that three-set match, and you know, it was a credit to both boys because they both played really well. Um, you mentioned the, the setup that Yannick has there and how you fit into it, but I would imagine you don't take on a player or a project like this or a job like this lightly. You've, you've got a record with Leighton Hewitt, with Andre Agassi, with Simona Halep. These are, these are world number ones that you were part of their team. Why, why Yannick? Why did you do, want to work with him? Well, it's not about the record for me. Firstly, I love coaching, and just spending some time around him certainly brought the love of coaching back for me, and, and getting back involved with the ATP has been, after a good absence from the ATP, has been different from me as well. And for me, it's more about the character of the person. It's not so much about the ranking. I really couldn't care what he was ranked. It's really about the character of the person and how much they wish to evolve and wish to learn and continue to work hard and have all the right principles. And, and Yannick has all of those. And even when they asked me to join them at the middle of last year for a bit of a trial, even asking around, every single person that I spoke to said, you're going to love this kid because he's Italian. He shows some emotion on the court, but he wants it really badly. And he's great, great discipline and great principles and great characters. So that's all we can ask in a player, and the rest kind of takes care of itself. If you get out there and do the hard work, then eventually you'll get rewarded, and he certainly does the hard work. And what have you found as a player in him, both in terms of what he already was and what maybe he could go on to become? Well, firstly, I think Ricardo Piatti did an amazing job with him. To be in the top ten at such a young age was an incredible effort. And he played a lot of tennis and and he broke into the top 10. But you get to a point where I think that, and I'm sure Ricardo had this in mind for him as well, is that you need to evolve as a tennis player. You need to find ways to finish points, to win free points off your serve, to to change up with a slice backhand, to transition to the net. He didn't come to the net too often today. He had a few chances, but uh, he relied on what he does, does great. And that's hit big balls from the back of the court and used his forehand really effectively. And I think as a tennis player, even the greatest in the world, they keep evolving and keep getting better and keep finding ways to to win points cheaply or free points and he's ready to do that he's taking on some new challenges and on the practice court he'll do whatever is asked of him and he'll do it more our biggest struggle is getting him to come off the practice court so that's a good problem to have isn't it yeah and i imagine choosing when to play how often to play because when you win matches you're you're playing all the time yeah, I think you learn that as you go a little bit. The The big thing for for him is creating a body for him that's going to give him longevity and give him a long career, a long successful career. And we've always said that we don't want to keep banking up the tournaments just for the ranking. We need to have those blocks where he can do his physical training with Umberto. 
the last nine months, I think he's put on about three kilos of muscle and he's dropped a little body fat as well, uh, which means he's a leaner, faster, better athlete. He's not getting those little injuries that you get as a teenager when you maybe play a little bit too much. And that's just a natural progression of getting a bit older and a bit wiser and a bit smarter and, and having good people around him. And with Simone and Umberto, he's got two of the best. And those two guys have actually worked together quite often. They were with Cecchinato when Cecchinato took out Novak at the quarters at the, at the French Open a bunch of years ago. So they know each other well. And it's like uh, being involved a little bit with the Italian mob, working with the four of them. So uh, I'm the outsider in this. And you know, every time we turn up to work and we're in the car together, it feels like we're on the way to rob a bank or something. So it's been a, a wonderful experience for me and I'm very happy they asked me to join the team. Just as a final point, as we stand here, we don't know who he's going to play in, in the next round, Felix Ogialiasim or Carlos Alcaraz, of whom so much is talked. He's the US Open champion. He's so explosive, so exciting. We here on the Tennis Podcast, we love the matches between Yannick and Carlos. They're, they're an incredible spectacle. And Yannick has had success against him. Okay, he didn't win that US Open match, but when they're on the court together, it is something else. What is it about Yannick's game, do you think, that has been successful, that, that seems to maybe cause Carlos Alcaraz problems? Well, I think if Yannick plays his game, he can cause anybody problems. So I guess he had a couple of good matches against Carlos last year. That one where he had match point at the US Open, I think, was one of the most outstanding matches of last year. And I aged about 20 years watching that one. But it was it was a pleasure to be in the coach's box being involved in that when both guys were playing so well. And actually, the last time he played Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, he actually had match point lost to him in Cincinnati. So it doesn't matter which way this one goes. He's had chances against both players. Both are great players. Both... I think the three of them, and including Taylor, the four of them, and this whole young generation was starting to see some really nice rivalries come through. And yeah, the special one for me would be Yannick against uh, against uh, Carlos because yeah, those matches they played against each other, you see the excitement and the love of the game that comes out of both of them. And if they can play their best tennis, then we're in for a thriller. Yeah, well, I certainly hope so. And their their past meet- meetings suggest so. Fascinating insight there. I mean. Four months ago, if I told you that Yannick Sinner had several percentage worth points worth of body fat to lose, what would you have replied? I mean, did he have any body? I mean, apparently he did, but he certainly didn't look like it a few months ago, did he? But yeah, I mean, he looked—he's always looked sort of boyish, scrawny. He looks much more like a, a grown man now. Uh, he has filled out. I mean, he hasn't bulked up. He's just filled out. His frame is. A, a little more burly inside that shirt of his, and uh, and I think it makes him look more kind of more balanced. Really, I, I I sort of used to wonder where does this power come from because he does not look like a player capable of producing power. Well, that that just shows how muscle mass is not responsible for ball striking pace, and we've seen that with Gustavo Kirten, who used to be able to just time a ball with these extraordinary wind-ups and and there's there's loads I mean, even and, dominic team yeah yeah and uh, petter corda you know these are these are these players used to have incredible power off the strings of the racket from very slender frames but at the same time i do think it it, it both cushions the, the the pace a little if you have more muscle behind it you know you're able to withstand things more um and I don't know, I think he looks a bit, a little bit more intimidating. I think it probably makes him walk a little taller and and have a bit more of a swagger around the place. I mean, the big thing I've noticed with Sinner is he's, 
he's he's coming out to get you now and that's going to be very interesting against Alcaraz who who will not be dictated to by anybody so it's a little bit different I think this match to the others in the past I think Sinner had a particular game plan to kind of handcuff Alcaraz by deflecting his power now I think he's coming out and he's going to go after Alcaraz in every ball so could be a bit of an unforced error fest in that with that in mind but it also could be utterly spectacular would anyone like to make final predictions I mean we're daily from this point on so you can have until tomorrow's pod well, to, to go, make your men's final I'll go Alcaraz Tiafo. Matt and, and your women's um, I, I'll say Sviantek Sabalenka I think the same as David Am I allowed to do that? Yes. Sure. I mean, yes. Who did you say would win the women's title at the start? Sviantek. Okay, and we said Sabalenka, didn't we, Catherine? We're all still in. Oh, this is good. (laughs) This has never happened before. And rare. (laughs) I'm going to go Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Sviantek, Sabalenka. Bring it on. But there's no scenario. There's, There's no final scenarios on either side that don't make my mouth water really which is is, is a good place to yeah, be we're delighted to be here folks. <laughs> yeah if that's not clear by now <laughs> by, i don't know <laughs> i don't know how more smug how much more <laughs> smug we can be about it we'll be taken off the instagram if we <laughs> any more smug there must be a, like a limit that they have on it Oh, mm. no. I mean, Instagram is the <laughs> home of smugness, David. We're not even close to the threshold. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Are our followers going up or down? Up. Great. Big so time in Catherine's hands. It's fine, then. Mm. People love the shuffleboard content. What yeah. can I say? <laughs> um, bit of news from the tournament. Just, just one line. Anastasia Potapova was seen a few days ago walking out onto court for her match wearing a Spartak Moscow Football shirts, it was very much remarked upon at the time. Uh, the WTA have now uh, told us that Potapova has been formally warned for doing that. And uh, that news emerged uh, via a, a big interview that Steve Simon has done, David. Yeah, yeah with Russell Fuller on the BBC Sport website. And um, yeah, he, he he made it very clear that uh, that, that was not something that... that was allowed and and wasn't going to be stood for and and the, that they had warned uh, Potapova and I think that's absolutely the right thing to have done. Um, Igor Sviantek had, had spoken about it as well and, and expressed her concerns about it. Um, and it was an interesting interview in general with Steve because he he kind of alluded to a number of things that are significant uh, news stories in the sport just at the moment and and that have been for, for a long time. Obviously. Uh, just under a year ago, Wimbledon banned Russian and Belarusian players from playing. They subsequently were stripped of their ranking points, uh, Wimbledon, by both the WTA and ATP tours. Uh, a lot of the British events that had also banned Russian and Belarusian players had been fined heavily as a result uh, of that uh, those decisions and even risked or been threatened with having their sanctions removed and the tournament's going elsewhere. And as a result of that, it's very much expected that Wimbledon is going to rescind that ban 
2023. And that was alluded to in this article by Russell. And it does seem as though that that's going to end up happening. And we're just waiting for Wimbledon to reveal that news. Plus, Steve Simon's also been talking about the sport's future, the WTA's future in China, which he's been categoric about all along that uh, there will be no return of the WTA to China to do business in that country, which they were so heavily invested in until they received certain reassurances about the safety and the independence to uh, talk freely of Peng Shui, who is obviously um, not being heard of independently or not being reached by the WTA ever since um, the situation that happened with her, with the allegations she made. Um, that appears as well to be shifting the grounds on which that uh, assertion by Steve Simon was made um, last year. He said, my, my view is the same, but it's going to be a board decision. So that's a very, very interesting little development in that saga, which, which I, I have to say I wasn't really expecting. It, especially as the board presumably now has new members with the CBC deal because they are now... As we understand it, twenty percent stakeholders in the WTO, yeah, which private equity firm. I mean, it, you, it is you different. You assume equates to a twenty percent say. Mm. It, it might not be quite as simple as that, but they will certainly have a say. So, interesting times. They are. Yeah, mm. we'll, we'll keep you across it all. Obviously, um, I mentioned the incredible discount code being offered for Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours packages for the French Open this year at the top of the show. We also, of course, have our on-location Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours competition uh, open to all listeners resident in the US or the UK. Uh, The competition, of course, is to win a package for the BNP Paribas Open here in Indian Wells in 2024. You get a whole year to look forward to it. Oh, I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> it's not about the destination. It's about the journey to get there. Um, and it is for destination's a... Destination's very good. <laughs> yeah, I realised as I was saying it, no, the destination's better. Um, a three-night stay in a four-star hotel and tickets to all of the semifinals and finals in both the men's and the women's it's an incredible package there's also transportation to and from the venue hospitality the whole lot so if you'd like to enter become a friend of the tennis podcast and go to tours for tennis.com forward slash podcast forward slash ttp tours the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast forward slash tango tango papa I hear myself saying that in my in my sleep, in my dreams. I'm impressed. <laughs> she hasn't even got a script, folks. Right then, on to the important stuff, and that is today's mascot, hey. Zelda. Zelda is a four-and-a-half-year-old mixed breed who was adopted by Christopher and Claudel, lovely name, less than a year ago. Zelda was born in Puerto Rico before coming to Washington, D.C. for several years. I love, I love an animal that's done international travel. Zelda's been all over the shop. <laughs> um, she's lovely. She's very interesting. I mean, trying to, I've stared at her long and hard trying to guess which breeds are in there. I think a bit of beagle, if I had to guess. 
got beagle colouring anyway, but not a very beagly head. Got very corgi-ish ears. She's she's fabulous. Anyway, she's got a lot of character. Um, and Zelda was my favourite... I'm going to sound really old to Matt now. My favourite Game Boy game as a kid. Have you ever heard of a Game Boy, Matt? Well, yeah, because they've had a revival. Mm. Have they? In a sort of retro way, yeah. I've not seen them. <laughs> anyway, I loved Zelda. I've probably still got the original. Loved it. <laughs> so we love that name and we love that dog. Thank you to Christopher and Claudel. Uh, we have our mascots, of course. David has Maisie. I've got Xenia, Matt's got Darwin. It's gonna be it's gonna be a heated final few days. Yeah, come on, Maisie, let's <laughs> Amongst do this. Amongst Maisie, Xenia, and Darwin. <laughs> Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah, and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We do. Actually, we start with some supplementary information. Oh, to- okay. I love a bit of supplementary information. I know information. you do. To uh, our previous shout-outs. Do you remember when we were trying to think of Kelly's? And David brilliantly... Yeah. Brilliantly. Yeah. Came up with Kelly Evenden. I do remember. Is Kelly Evenden a shout-out? No, this isn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly, Can you if you imagine? want to get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> but our good friend Robert McNichol... No longer Wimbledon librarian, (gasps) now promoted to Wimbledon historian. Oh, well, that's even better. Congratulations congratulations to Robert. Robert. What will that give him access to? (laughs) I can't imagine. (laughs) History. (laughs) The clubhouse, I believe, is the answer. Whoa, that's big. Hang on. Mm. Generally, you have to win Wimbledon to get access to the clubhouse. This is a backdoor route. It's a big move from Robert. Now we've announced this, people are going to be coming for that job. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, he says he was very impressed by David remembering Kelly Evenden. So was I. And he wanted to add the information that he only had one lung, Kelly Evenden. Okay, that's, that's he, amazing. He played pro tennis with only one lung, having had a lung removed as the result of an injury sustained in a car accident at the age of 16. He was hit by a car and his heart stopped twice in five days, once for one minute and once for 45 seconds. In addition to puncturing a lung, which had to be removed, he also had a broken arm, leg and ribs. And then he made a full recovery and became a pro tennis player. And Robert thinks you remember Kelly Evenden because he was Jimmy Connors's opponent in the round at Wimbledon before Connors made that epic comeback against Michael Pernfors, which was always referenced at, uh, on the Champions Tour when, uh, you know, when Michael, when Michael Pernfors, Pernfors was introduced, he once <laughs> led Pernfors Jimmy Connors. Once led Jimmy Connors six one six one four one and lost. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. Lovely place. So I mean, that was, is the kind of stuff you get from Robert. I feel was that the presentation he gave at his interview for for this job? Yeah. I mean, you've got wow. the job. You're the historian. I mean, the only person King George the Sixth. Had a lung removed, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. 
That's the only person I've mm. ever known to have, I mean, not and, known. And, <laughs> and he wasn't a tennis wasn't player. Wasn't a pro tennis and player. And I don't think it went well for He died soon afterwards, didn't he? Yes. Definitely didn't go on to have a pro tennis career no, anyway. Um, I, I sat there open-mouthed while you were reading that out. I had, that is incredible. What mm. a great story. Thank you, Robert. Wow. Yeah. And congrats on the new job. Who's yeah. the new librarian? <laughs> what a stitch up no well I do know the answer I just don't know whether I'm allowed to say oh okay let's leave oh. that in okay <laughs> who are our shout outs for Matt we have got Liz Zantfort Ooh. in Melbourne hello Liz right, like Liz. Liz Smiley like Liz Smiley like Liz who Smiley. I commentated with at Wimbledon once I commentated with her at the Australian Open. Lovely, isn't she? This lovely. She's got a son called Elvis, who's a golfer. <laughs> very, very good golfer. Tell you. Mm. I didn't realise there were Elvises that weren't the Elvis. Yeah, uh, but, well, I, th- I think the story goes that her husband is a massive Elvis fan. I, th- I mean, I yeah, I think <laughs> I would have assumed. You don't call your child elvis if you're neutral on elvis <laughs> i mean the mate are there any out there do get in touch uh, who aren't that into elvis presley but still call their kid elvis i'd love to know <laughs> so carry on thank you liz thank you liz we've also got Catherine lewis in connecticut right, Catherine. Catherine says i'm Sorry, my name is spelled the wrong way. There's no wrong there's way. No, there's no wrong just way. Variations on the theme. What, what way is it? It's K A T H R Y N. Perfectly acceptable. Same church, different pew. Couple of couple of rows behind, or in front, <laughs> or to the side. There's no there's in no the, hierarchy in the vicinity. Yeah. And finally, we've got Darren Robertson who. Uh, I'm just reading my notes. Like Darren Cahill of like, this podcast. Absolutely. Doesn't actually say where he's from, but I believe is Australian. Uh, well, like Darren Walton, the amazing Australian journalist who featured in our recent review show. Good stuff. Good stuff, who we, whose accent we love. Mm. And Darren has two chihuahuas. Oh. oh Their cool. names are Bernie and Audrey. He's written Bernie, brackets, Sanders, and Audrey, brackets, Hepburn. One of my best friends is called Bernie. Well, she's not, actually. She was called Lucy Burnell, and now she's called Lucy Smith. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Darren. Darren. I yeah. love that he's not so where he's from, but he has given details of his dogs. We appreciate that energy, Darren. Right. That is it, folks, and I mean it this time. We'll be back tomorrow rounding up the women's semi-finals, looking ahead to the women's final, looking ahead to the men's semi-finals. What else will we be doing? All of it. Butchering people's shout-outs. Oh, oh, tom- <laughs> All the stuff that you do. Tomorrow we've got one Carlos Ferrero on the show. We do. Yes. In in the next instalment of Doorstep by, by David. David. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Tune in for that and jingle. much, much more. We'll speak to you then. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 